Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 24. As we start a new chapter, Genesis chapter 24, I've entitled our Bible study, A Bride is Chosen for the Son. A Bride is Chosen for the Son. As we've learned before, the Bible is filled with typology, types and pictures, portraits and symbols. They're all pointing to Jesus revelations of Messiah, of his work, his love, and his redemption. And it was Augustine that first said, the Old Testament is in the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament revealed. It was his way of saying, look for Jesus as you read through the Old Testament. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Types, pictures, symbols. Already in chapter 22, we've been given the most powerful picture of Jesus in all the Bible. The father, Abraham, takes his son, his only son, his unique son, Isaac up to Mount Moriah to offer as a sacrifice and obedience to God. This would be the very place that Jesus would sacrifice his own life and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Then, in chapter 23, we read of Sarah dying, was buried. Isaac, after the sacrifice, as the son, came to live in his father's house, and Sarah, his mom, dies. Sarah now represents to us, an added type, the nation of Israel in this family. The son is offered up, In chapter 22, she was put away. Soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Jewish system would be put away, politically and religiously. Now, as we come to chapter 24, the son is offered, Sarah's put away. The very next thing we have is a bride chosen for the son, for Isaac. Isaac, a picture of Jesus, is waiting for his bride. After the Jewish nation is set aside, a new person comes on the stage, the bride. Biblically, that's us, the bride of Christ. Then we'll get to chapter 25, and Abraham suddenly has a wife again. Israel is back in communion with the father, which we studied in depth, Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Israel set aside, but God is not done with Israel. He will then, during the last seven years of human history, we know that as the great tribulation period, 
God will turn his attention once again to the nation of Israel after the rapture of the church. Symbols and types and pictures are very important. As you're reading through the Bible, it's important that you recognize, at least in the very minimum, know the true stories. Know the life of Abraham. And there's much to be learned about Abraham, the father of faith, the friend of God. But there's always a deeper thing God's doing under the surface, pointing forward to the coming of Messiah. With that in mind, chapter 24, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, and it's a major break in the second division of Genesis. If you're taking notes, we learn in the beginning of our study that you could divide Genesis into two sections primarily. The first part, chapters 1 through 11, covered four great events. The creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. The second part of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50, covers four people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who gets most of the attention toward the end of Genesis. Abraham begins to fade out, and we'll turn our attention to Isaac in this chapter, looking at his miraculous birth, his marriage, and his death as we continue forward. Longest chapter in Genesis. Why? Because this is what human history is all about, chapter 24. God the Father gathering a bride out of all humanity for the Son. Speaks of his redemption and his love. You could summarize in one way chapter 24 of Genesis with John chapter 3 in the New Testament, verse 16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gathering a bride for the son, the church. It's almost like the Holy Spirit saying in chapter 24 to pause, pay close attention. He wants you to take that long lingering look at his great love for you. No matter what you walked in with today, what you tune the radio on, what you're carrying around, what baggage you have or layer upon layer upon layer of issues and hardship and concerns and worries and doubts, pause and consider the eternal work of God as demonstrated in a flawed family. Anything we learn with Abraham is that God uses flawed men. Anything we learn with Sarah is that God uses flawed women and and flawed families. I know there's much to be said in our culture today about dysfunctional families. And immediately as you think of that word, you begin to think, well, I have a dysfunctional family. I mean, we grew up in a dysfunctional family, but let me let you in on a little secret. We all grew up in dysfunctional families, as good as some of you had it. We could compare our families, of course. Some of you had great families, some not so much. But all have been touched by the dysfunction of sin. As good as anyone ever experienced it, it couldn't be the best because of sin. And as bad as some of you did experience, and I'm sorry for the pain that you experienced and endured in the family you grew up in, it's because of the grace of God that it wasn't worse. That God protected you and guarded you from things that could have been even worse. Let's jump in and notice the first few verses. We're only going to tackle the first half because there's a verse in the second half of this chapter that I didn't want to gloss over. I want to spend a whole week on it. 
And I'll show you toward the end here. Verse one, now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord Jehovah had blessed Abraham in all things. If you're taking notes, Abraham's about 140 years old. I would say that qualifies for well advanced in age. 140 years old, Isaac, his son, is around 40. And yes, he's been blessed in all things. This man that took the step of faith to leave his homeland in chapter 12 has been blessed in all things. His life of blessing has been such a great source of encouragement for all of us. And we are experiencing the overflow of the blessings in Abraham's life even now thousands of years later. I would say that's a blessed man. That your life continues, we would use the phrase today, that the legacy of your life continues to bless many others after you're gone. That your testimony and the power of your life, that's where Abraham is, not only in the spiritual realm, but physically, he's very blessed. He's very wealthy, very rich, many possessions that he's honored God with, a good steward of everything that God has entrusted to him. It's important to remember that to whom much is given, much is required, and to whom the person that is faithful with even the little will be given more. And that's where Abraham is. He's been given more and more. Why? Because he deserves it? Not at all. But the same reason you and I have anything, it's by the grace of God. It's by his faithfulness and his goodness. Here he is at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, verse two, it says, so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who rolled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. That's an interesting request. We'll get to it in a moment. I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. I want to make a covenant with you as you search. I have a job for you, servant. And by the way, he's unnamed here, but most likely this is his key servant, Eleazar. We are introduced to him back in chapter 15. Very significant in the typology as well. But he calls his servant over and says, we need to make a covenant. The covenant of having a hand under the thigh was an intimate commitment of just a way to show in ancient days of your commitment to keep a promise. We, we don't do that anymore. These days it's a handshake or a signing a contract. It's very similar here in the ancient days. It wasn't a weird thing, although it might seem at its face, but customary and normal and very important. It was showed a sign that what they were about to agree upon was very important and required more than just your word. There was an intimate connection. And here's the agreement that he's asking his servant to make. Don't take a wife for my son from among the Canaanites. That cannot happen. I want you to find a wife for my son from my own hometown, from my own people, not among the Canaanites. Why a wife from his people? That's a good question. Well, we know that God didn't want the bloodlines mixed for Messiah. That's the simple answer. It's also a demonstration of Abraham's faith here. Abraham would have, if Abraham would have had a wife from the Canaanites, it would have gained him more wealth in an alliance with the people of the land. 
It would have been a very, if he was a wheeler dealer like a lot was, this would have been a very strategic thing for him to do. Not acting in faith, looking to the future, not trusting in God, but rather looking at the present. And how can I secure my future for my family, for my son, and for my heritage in this land, this land of promise for the future? What if God doesn't? And what about, he could have said, I want you to find a wife, just we'll have an alignment, find the most profitable, you know, most wealthy king, and we'll align ourselves and have a future here among the land. But God had already promised him a future. So he had a greater promise than an alliance could ever have. But avoiding the Canaanites was also practically, there's a spiritual reason, there's a faith reason, but there's also a practical reason. The Canaanites were wicked people. They were corrupt, idolatrous, and it's like Abraham saying, I don't want my son and his family corrupted by this sinful practices. I don't want him to be torn down by the world that's around us. And it was very serious to Father Abraham as it is with our father, the admonition against being unequally yoked stands today. We get the phrase unequally yoked from the new covenant, from the new Testament. It's very important you understand that being, choosing to be unequally yoked will cause you great pain and great sorrow. I noticed something else here with this. It's maybe overlooked, but remember the ages. Abraham's 140 years old. Isaac is 40 years old. And Isaac is yielding to the wisdom of his dad. Abraham still has a great influence in his son's life, even at age 40. Isaac respects his dad. He respects his dad in finding a wife for him, for the customs of the day, for the leadership of his dad. He has great influence, not because he forced it upon him, not because he demanded it, but because I believe Isaac has seen enough of his Abraham's genuineness and enough of his dad's faith. And he saw a few failures along the way, I'm sure as well. But he saw enough of his genuineness and faith that there's an admiration, admiration for his dad. And his dad's opinion still matters and still means something to him, even at 40 years old. Isaac will learn from his personality as it's revealed was a a settled, contemplative kind of man. He's a man we find meditating, praying in the field, sitting by a well. Isaac was born to parents much, much later. His parents were very old. I would say having a kid at 100 years old, very old. The home was quieter. There wasn't a lot of activity with children and babies. It was a much quieter home that he grew up in. And personality-wise... Even later in chapter 24, when his wife is brought, when we read of Rebekah coming to Isaac, he takes her into his mother's tent and he loves her and she gives him peace. There's a very good chance he's still mourning the death of his mom. Isaac is that tender, deep, contemplative man as he is revealed through the scriptures. Let's review where we are with the types so you can follow along as we continue in the rest of the chapter. So far, we've learned Abraham is a type of God the Father. Isaac represents Jesus the Son. Now we have someone new mentioned just in these first few verses, and that is Abraham's servant, Eliezer. Eliezer's name means God is my help. 
Eliezer the servant is a picture and a type of the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned earlier in chapter 15. We don't really know for sure if that's who this servant is. There's a good chance the key relationship that he has, the most important task, Eliezer being the chief servant, you can make a strong case that it's Eliezer here. But why isn't he named? If it is Eliezer, we already have met his name, what would be a good reason for him not being named? Well, I suggest to you that this has everything to do with what Jesus said in the typology about the Holy Spirit. Hold your place in Genesis. Turn over to John chapter 16 now. John chapter 16. God weaving together these things in the teachings of Jesus. When you get there, look at verse 13 with me. As the ministry of the Holy Spirit is described. And this is very important to recognize. I think why Eliezer isn't named here. Verse 13, John 16. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. Notice the key ministry of the Holy Spirit in verse 14. Don't miss this. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. It is not to draw attention to himself. It's not to whip the church up into a frenzy so the church gets all the attention. The true ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. So when the Spirit is moving in a church, moving in a believer's life, moving in a family, when there's a wave of power from the Holy Spirit active, when the Spirit inspires revival, the talk and the language during that time will not be about the Spirit. And the focus will not surround the Spirit. The attention won't be on the Holy Spirit. But a true move of the Holy Spirit, you know it's from God. And you know the Spirit is in the midst of it when all the attention is on Jesus. Not on the move of the Spirit. This servant being unnamed Well, Isaac and the bride are on display in this story. The focus is on the son waiting for his bride. It's not about Eleazar. He is a key. He is a key player in this, but it's not about him. The title of my Bible study isn't the servant that go gets a bride for the son. Let's watch the servant. Let's be faithful like the servant. This Bible study in its typology, this chapter is all about the son who's waiting for his bride. Eliezer is used now to gather, as we'll see more elements. It's such a neat thing. Verse five, and the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, beware. It's the next warning. Number one, don't get a wife from the Canaanites. And number two, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give you this land, he will send his angel before you. You shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing, mark this, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from this oath. Only don't take my son back there. 
So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. This was a big task for Eliezer, for the servant. It's a step of faith and obedience for him too. This is what happens. When you hang around men and women of faith, you watch and you're involved in their steps of faith, God is gonna move upon you to also take steps of faith. You are inspired by the people you hang out with, both positive and negative. The Bible warns us, evil company corrupts good habits. But men and women of faith, when you're surrounded with men and women of faith, men and women of the word, men and women of prayer, you know what happens to you? You start praying. You start stepping out in faith. You start dreaming big for God. You find yourself filled with obedience. Eliezer, being close to the man of faith, is now given his own step of faith and obedience. And he was thinking about it as Abraham spoke. Should I take Isaac there? This is, like a, this is impossible. Maybe if I took him there, we can stand over to the side and he can look for the one that he's attracted to. What, what am I supposed to do? And he speaks up. No is given the answer twice. Abraham says, no. Isaac is in the land of promise, representing the children of Israel here, and he's not leaving it, ever. It belongs to the Jew, this land of promise. You don't take him out. And we're here right now, and it hasn't been conquered yet. The Canaanites fill the land. Don't take your wife from the Canaanites. Isaac's still going to stay. Jesus himself came and walked among us. It's one of the greatest things to to think of the condescension of Jesus, the eternal son of God, to draw near to you and me. He lived among us, became one of us, fully God and fully man. Isaac's in the land of promise. He's not going to leave it ever. God will be with you, Abraham says. You'll find a wife. This is a 500-mile journey that would take anywhere from a month and a half to two months. It's a long journey, but Abraham's faith at this point has grown and grown. He is completely confident that the servant will succeed. With any of the concerns that his servant has, he releases his servant, but he sends, them expect, he sends Eliezer expecting a wife to return. Abraham's 140 years old. And by the time you're 140 years old, your faith has grown over the years. And it reminded me of what a blessing it is to hang around with saints that have been walking with the Lord a lot longer than I have. They have a greater level of faith. I love to hear their stories, their faith stories, their failure stories. If you're born again and you're only a couple weeks in the Lord or a couple years in the Lord, it will not be difficult for you to find men and women that are 10 years ahead of you, 20 years ahead of you. And you can tell that you can ask them when you see them, when you meet them, tell me your story. Give me the details. Is there anything in your life that you overcame? And you can almost hear them say, sit down, son. Do I have a story to share with you? By the time Abraham's 140, I don't believe, and because we don't have them recorded, that he's making the kind of sinful mistakes he made in his youth. We never again read of him. Of course, in chapter 4, we wouldn't read that, or chapter 24, because Sarah now has already passed on into eternity. But we don't read of him mistreating Sarah. 
We don't hear eat of that again. Those were youthful mistakes. In proportion to his years of age, those were youthful mistakes. And the, as you continue to grow in faith, surrounding yourself with men and women of wisdom and experience, they'll rub off on you. There's another thing I want you to notice here. It's why we're taking our time in the first half. Go back to verse eight with me. The Holy Spirit is going to find a bride for the son waiting back with his father. And verse eight says, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you're released. Just don't take my son back there. If the woman, that is the woman that is the angel of the Lord has gone before you, you're, you're gonna be fine, you're gonna find her. She's not willing don't force her to come back. Step back for the typology. Holy Spirit going into the world to draw a bride, the church, for the son. If you're not willing, God will not force you. No one comes into the kingdom forced. If you're not willing to repent of your sins today, God will not force you. We will not force you. We will not find you and take your arm and twist it behind and make you believe. We see this typology already. Like, don't bring, she doesn't want to come. She doesn't have to come. The Holy Spirit symbolized by the servant here will never force someone to believe in Jesus. It will not be against your will. It won't be a surprise one day. You wake up, oh, now I'm a believer. It will be in cooperation with the free will that God has given to you. The Holy Spirit will plead with you. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit will draw you. The Holy Spirit will send people into your life. The gospel will be shared. Books will show up. People will be praying for you. New people coming into work. Other people, there will be a lot of work of the Holy Spirit around you. As you recall, the work of the Holy Spirit that is with every human being in the world today is the Holy Spirit is with every single human being pleading convicting drawing but he won't force you nobody is forced to follow jesus i know sometimes we wish he would it's part of our prayer we get a little aggressive in our prayers and we're like that persistent widow just knock 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 talking won't, won't stop but he won't he won't force you it's a decision you need to make a decision you may need to make tonight now right now is this airing on the radio or online. It's a day of salvation. God is knocking on your heart, asking you to open up, but he won't force himself through the door. So much typology. Pick up in verse 10 now. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. By the way, camels were very rare to own during the time of Abraham. The fact that he had just could give up 10 of them means Abraham was extremely wealthy. So he takes 10 camels, he departs, for all his master's goods were in his hand. He arose and went Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And then he said, O oh Lord God of my master, Abraham, Please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water that the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be, verse 14. 
that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I'll also give your camels a drink, let her be the one to whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I'll know that you have shown kindness to my master. Two months of travel, very uncomfortable on camels in a camel caravan. He's had a lot of time to think about this. I believe he's still concerned. But his concern now isn't to Abraham. He can't ask Abraham anything. He takes it to the Lord. He takes his concern to the Lord. Two months, he still sees he's laying it before. You could even say, like Gideon, he's laying a fleece before the Lord. And he's very precise. God follows through on this. This would show that it is indeed God working behind the scenes. This 500-mile journey. So where you're reading, you want to be a little careful because in between verses 10 and 11, the servant took the masters, he arose and went. By the time verse 11, in between those two verses is two months time, 500 mile journey on camels. Careful reading of the scripture is important. Some, a lot has happened in between verses 10 and 11. And he speaks this prayer. Oh God of my, oh Lord God of my master, please give me success. And he lays out before God all of these signs. He wants to see a sign. He wants to see something. If the woman comes, offers him water for his 10 camels, she's got to be the one. This would be no easy task. As one commentator said, this request that he made toward God would test Rebecca. We end up knowing it's Rebecca in a few verses. But it would test the woman's kindness, hospitality, her industry, and her willingness to help a stranger. There were parts of this, whether he knew it or not, that would help confirm that she was the one. He lays it before the Lord. Verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. We looked at the word suddenly in light of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. Suddenly, suddenly, quick, on the way, got my whole mind made up. Saul has an old entourage. He's going to destroy the church in Damascus. The whole church is scared. Everything's, they're waiting for him to arrive. And then suddenly everything changes. Well, this is the same with the servant. This is something that God does quite frequently. You're going and you're going and you're going, even maybe to the point where you're given up. I don't know if it's ever going to change. You've come to settle that this is the newness of life. You, you haven't given up completely. You love God, you trust God, but the eagerness of maybe it'll be today, maybe it'll be today, maybe it'll be this week, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be this year, maybe it'll be another 10 years, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be, before you know it, you've lost that urgency that God could work at any moment because it gets heavy and it gets hard. Here's a prayer that even, I have it marked and under, I have it underlined and highlighted. Before he had finished speaking, God did the impossible. Before it was even done. Some suggest it says he said, but it doesn't say that he said where other people could hear him. And so some have suggested this was one of those prayers like Nehemiah, just under his breath. You ever pray like that? Just a few little under your breath. Nobody knows. You're not saying it out loud. We pray out loud when we gather here, but many of our prayers just under our breath, in our minds, nobody hears them, but God does. And before he's even done, 
Before he's speaking, even if he's speaking out loud out of his mouth, but very quiet, God suddenly, behold, there's Rebecca. And verse 16, the woman was very beautiful to behold. This is not just outward beauty. This Hebrew word can also refer to a unique quality about her, not just physical beauty. She was a virgin, which could be a word translated in the Hebrew, young woman, but also a physical virgin where it says no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. The servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Now he's putting his prayer to the test. He put his prayer to the test. Rebecca shows up. He's moving toward her, matching, as we've learned in previous studies, they're all coming together, matching. God does his part. Man has his part. And now he's stepping out on even his prayer. He sees Rebecca, catches her, his attention. He goes over to her, runs to her. And her answer in verse 18 must have just warmed his heart. I bet you his heart's all beating and he's all nervous. And what is the, oh, I hope this, like all that's happening with him, it's happened so quickly in answer to his prayer before he's even done speaking. And she says, drink my Lord. And she hastened and let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they finish drinking. And she hastened and emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. There's a couple of ways of looking at the well. A camel could drink 25 gallons of water or more. They estimate between 25 and 50 gallons. When we go to Israel, one of our stops on the tour is in Megiddo. And in Megiddo, we have a cistern that would be typical, at least in the first century and all the way back into the time of Solomon, it's still there, where it was a very large water reservoir that had stairs to go down into it. You would go down the stairs, get your water and come back out. Back out. And she would have a large uh, vase on her, a huge container on her shoulder. And you can imagine if that was the kind of, well, this was a very industrious woman that offered herself to serve. Another type of well would have been a large opening where you could take down and you could put the pitcher down or another container and pull it back up and fill your pitcher. Either way, this is a lot of work for a long time for someone she doesn't even know. And God has been working on her, developing her into the woman that she is, even in preparing her for this visit from this unknown man that needs help with his camels. Notice in verse 20, 21, the man wondering at her, how would you feel? We read into the scriptures and it all comes together and everything's fine. But what if it was you? Would you stand there wondering? Like, what is going on here? This is amazing. I cannot believe this. In my mind, I tried to create a scenario that would absolutely know. I would know that I know that I know that I know. And it's happening right before him. And he's wondering. I think I'd do more than wondering. Knowing me, I'd probably do a little doubting too. Like, I don't know, I'm not sure. Did she, was it all the camels? Okay, let me count. One, two, three, four, five. I, yeah, did, is that one satisfied? Because she, she looks very, that camel over there looks very upset. Did she get, like, just, but notice, he's wondering, he, goes, he remains silent to know whether the Lord has made his journey prosperous or not. He's waiting for a word, waiting for a word from the Lord. So it was when the camels had finished drinking, 
The man took a golden nose ring, weighing it half a shekel, two bracelets for her wrist, weighing 10 shekels of gold, and said, whose daughter are you? That's the key question, isn't it? Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. I think you would too. They worship in adoration, just shocked of how fast God could work, how thorough he could work how good and gracious he was to this servant who loved Abraham, loved his son, wanted to be faithful, went on this journey of faith, two months, month and a half, two months of thinking about it, 500 miles up and down on a camel, walking alongside the camel, sleeping outside, two and a half months of this, arriving finally. It all comes together so quickly and he worships. What a remarkable time in the life of Abraham's life. His faith rubs off in everyone around him. And it's worth reminding us again today, your spiritual life matters to you and to others. Your spiritual health, your spiritual commitment, your abiding life in Christ affects this church family. It affects us as a community of believers. It affects our city. It affects our community. It affects this metro area where witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Your spiritual life, whether you've ever thought about it or not, missionaries around the world depend upon your spiritual life. As each month they receive financial support from this church and many other churches. Each month they are praying for us, praying for the health of our church. Praying for, when, they say the health of, when I say the health of our church, he's praying for your health and my health spiritually, that we would live lives of obedience and surrender, that we would be faithful in taking our steps of faith, following the Lord. I wonder, although no missionaries ever told me this, but I wonder how many missionaries are praying, I pray for the men and women of Calvary and Aurora to be faithful in their giving of tithes and offerings. Because it's through the giving of the tithes and offerings that our missionaries are supported and where they're able to do the work that they're doing in Italy or in Uganda or in South Africa. Your spiritual health matters. Now, one more thing before we head out, and then I'll show you just where we're going to pick up next time. In verse 22, when he realizes that this is the bride, what does he do? He gives gifts. Eliezer, the servant, a type and a picture of the Holy Spirit, when he gathers the bride, when you become a part of the body of Christ, when you become a part of the bride of Christ, what does the Holy Spirit give you? Gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. God gives forth gifts to you through the Holy Spirit. And the typology is this continues. The servant, he rejoices he worships, a response to answered prayer, a response to steps of faith, a response to the presence of God even after this journey. No longer under the covering of Abraham, distant from him. Now he's living out his life of faith and God meets him there. And that's his response. Worship 
as we've learned and we're learning, creates an atmosphere. But our, response, our, our worship is a response to all that God has done. Even on our worst days, but on our best days, we come and we die to ourselves and we respond to the goodness of God who's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. God is worthy of our worship no matter what we've carried into the room today. God is worthy of our worship no matter what the circumstances of our life might be. God is worthy of our worship whether we had a great week or a horrible week or a scary week or a confident week, whether we were obedient, whether we read our Bible or prayed. God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our submission. He's worthy of our receiving of the gifts in relationship to the work of the Holy Spirit. She says in verse 27, he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. And this is the phrase we're going to focus on as we finish the rest of the chapter next time. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran, told these things to her mother's house. So the young woman, young woman ran and told those of her mother's house these things. Mark this. This is one of the passages, as I've shared before in my Bible, that's green. This is a life verse for ministry and serving God. As for me, he says, being on the way, the Lord led me. What is the way? The way of obedience, surrender, faith. When I'm on the way, the Lord leads. When I'm on the way, he gives, you take the first step, he gives the second step and the third step. If he gave all of the steps, some of you would never go. If he told you what awaited you a year or two or five years down the road, it may so undermine your faith of today, you just have a little mustard seed faith to take the first step, just a little mustard seed to take the first step. But if you knew everything that you were going to face, that mustard seed would be wiped away. It's mustard seed upon mustard seed. It's faithfulness of God. Although he went in obedience to Abraham, he is now living the fruit, this servant, living the fruit of his faith. He is living the fruit of his faith. And there's so much more that awaits us. Read the rest of the chapter and meditate on this phrase. Ask for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. Some of you need to get on the way. I often will refer to that as stop sitting on your hands, doing nothing for the Lord. You got to get on the way. This is God's will for your life. Get on the way of what he's, how he's made you, how he's gifted you, what direction somebody may have given you, a little small prayer under your breath. Get on the way. Open yourself to be used by God. Begin to pray these bold prayers, laying it before him. And give God a chance to reveal himself in a special way. Father, I thank you for the truth here in this section. Uh, Eliezer, such an encouragement, Abraham, Isaac, now Rebecca. There was just a uniqueness about her. Abraham was a blessed man, surrounded by unique women that reflected your glory. Women who trusted you, God, 
who, as in the Proverbs, were industrious and kind and hospitable, who were willing to serve and go out of their way with care and concern for those that are around them, including a stranger. And Father, in these last days, I'm I'm encouraged by what so much is in your scriptures. So much is foretold of what we now get to live out in the new covenant. And I just pray, God, that we would not take it for granted. Forgive us for taking these matters for granted. But also, we thank you for revealing these such things, this typology and pictures all throughout the Bible. Being reminded today of the person and the work of you, Holy Spirit, not drawing attention to yourself, but always pointing to Jesus, always testifying of Jesus, always guiding us into truth, gifting us, enabling us, empowering us. We give you glory tonight and honor. Thank you, God, for suddenly bringing about change. We pray for that sudden change. We pray, God, for that sudden healing. We pray for that sudden encouragement. We pray today for that sudden clarity. We prayed for that sudden financial provision. We pray, God, for that sudden, sudden, sudden work as you've been with us all along. We thank you, God, in the, when it's obvious and we choose to thank you when it's quiet. We praise you in the light And we praise you when it's dark. We trust you, God. Even if it's just a little mustard seed, we trust you. And we pray for the overpowering anointing of your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.